Welcome, welcome, welcome in Slump Busters. I hope you're excited. We got a brand new sound to this podcast. I'm super excited to it. We got some fancy new drops. If you listen to our last episode, you got a little bit of a preview for it. Kyle, are you excited for this new format that we're unveiling here today? I'm incredibly excited for this sports radio structured format to the Slump Buster podcast. It is incredibly professional with real drops and real formats and all kinds of stuff other than just me trying to derail the show. Although I will continue to do my best to derail the show. You have made it more professional. Absolutely. It will be one of our shining features is hear me keeping you a little bit more on track. I got to keep myself on track. And that's why we're going to start things off with our first brand new segment. Wow. Did you know that? Now live on the Slump Buster podcast, random sports fact of the week. For the first official random sports fact of the week, did you know the NFL has had three players all time from Ukraine? The most recent being defensive end Igor Olshansky. Olshansky played for the Chargers, Cowboys, and Dolphins between 2004 and 2011, starting 98 of 115 games. The MLB has also had three Ukrainian players in its history, although none active, the latest being in the 90s, I believe. Several fighters, including gold medalist Vasily Lamanchenko, heavyweight champ Alexander Yusik, and brothers Vitaly and Vladimir Klitschko have all signed up for the Ukrainian armed forces in some capacity. Aside from hockey, the NBA has had the most team sport athletes with eight historically and two players active from Ukraine. Alex Len of the Kings and Toronto forward Svi Mialuk issued a statement this week on the invasion. A great tragedy befell our dear homeland, Ukraine. We categorically condemn the war. Ukraine is a peaceful, sovereign state inhabited by people who want to decide their own destiny. We pray for our families, friends, relatives, and all the people who are in the territories of Ukraine. We hope for an end to this terrible war as soon as possible. Dear fellow Ukrainians, hold on. Our strength is unity. We are with you. The Slump Buster Podcast. The Slump Buster Podcast. The first quarter starts now. Deadlines usually yield results, but as we head into day 90 of the MLB lockout, the only result is more bad blood. On December 2nd, the MLB owners in lockstep with the expiring of the CPA instituted the lockout as a defensive maneuver. Then the decision to cancel regular season games if a new deal was not struck by the 28th, which turned to March 1st, was made. Some of the main sticking points in the negotiations include expanded playoffs, competitive balance issues, and of course, money, money, money. Kyle, are you surprised that an agreement was not reached? Not at all, because I said back on December 10th, which was just an arbitrary day that we recorded the Take It Easy podcast on the lockout, games are going to get canceled. More games are going to get canceled because canceling 4% of the season is not really enough to move either the owners or the union members to flip their side of the issue. Because right now, the players are willing to sit out and owners are willing to lose games in order to avoid a compromise in the hopes that one of the sides will fold and ultimately they will come to an agreement. More games will get canceled uh, because you're going to have to cancel a significant number of games games for either, I believe, 23 of the owners to vote in favor of just whatever the favorable deal is for the players or for 601 of the players, which is 50% of the 1,200 players represented by the union to vote and say, we'll take whatever deal we get. We just need to go play baseball. To get to that point, it's probably going to take canceling more than a month of games, but probably won't take canceling more than a year of games. I don't know in between where that number is when one side will decide to flip 
and say, we're going to fold. We're going to give up our hand and, and we're willing to come back. Uh, whether the owners get broken or the players get broken, I'm not really sure who's closer because uh, it's really hard to line up 1,200 Major League Baseball players and say, how many games would you be willing to sacrifice for the cause? How many games would you be willing to sacrifice and see how many everyone would be willing to sacrifice? Being 100% honest, we can't really do that. We also can't really figure out how many games the owners would be willing to lose, although it's easier to figure out 30 people's willingness to lose games. The point still is more games are going to get canceled. I don't know how many more games are going to get canceled. There's also the possibility of a compromise, which benefits all parties, but because uh, in union negotiations, not just in sports, but in all industries, both sides have an incentive to lie to each other about what they want. It leads to some distrust, no fault of anyone involved. There's just distrust around the situation. Because of that, you're going to see games get delayed as a negotiating tactic when in reality, both sides don't really care that much if games get canceled. Players are going to get full service time like they did during the pandemic season. The owners, most of the revenue comes from postseason television contracts. The only revenue that's being lost is at the gate for people paying to go watch those 20 home games that might get lost or 40 home games that might get lost, which is significant revenue. But relative to the billions of dollars Major League Baseball is making, they're still going to bring in a significant amount of revenue. Uh, As long as they host a postseason, that's where most of their revenue gets guaranteed. So in the grand scheme of things, more games are going to get canceled. I can't tell you exactly how much, although I will say it'll be more than a month of games getting canceled, but less than a year of games getting canceled. I don't know where it's going to be in between, but it's going to be somewhere between that. This was a an inevitable step was them not coming to a deal the first week of games getting canceled in two weeks, three weeks, maybe more a deal getting done, I would suspect. Well, the carrot dangling in front of us is the fact that they didn't cancel April outright. They canceled just a couple series as of this point. So that shows that the MLB is not ready to just completely give up on that first part of the season, although it does seem likely. A core date to look at is going to be March 31st. That's going to be when cash flow starts. So that's going to be when players actually start getting paid for their games. You mentioned they may still be able to get full service time out of this year, but I think a big problem with them missing games is now you have to renegotiate are you still going to get paid for the games that you lost? In COVID, it was a little bit easier to understand that because we all kind of more or less agreed that that season was going to be shortened. This one now being that it's the league instituted lockout, players are going to be a little less understanding if they don't get their full salaries. And that may be a make or break on whatever this next deal is. Uh, whenever they decide what is a full season, how many games is going to take, um, how many teams are going to be in the postseason. It did seem like in the final hours of that negotiation, some good things did start to happen though. And that does give me, again, a little bit of ability to take a deep breath because universal DH seems popular on both sides. Anti-tanking policies, instituting a draft lottery seems to be very popular on both sides. As of right now, expanded playoff, service time manipulation, cutting down on that. I know that that's been a big point of contention going back to Chris Bryant, who had to achieve 172 days in the MLB to achieve a full season. And he had famously 171 because the Cubbies knew, hey, let's just leave him in the minors just to sit for a little bit and not bring him up on opening day. And we get another year out of Chris Bryant. So because of instances like, of course, caused the distrust, that's caused the issues why players are pushing back. Also, when you hear about shitty things like the title belt 
that was given to owners for cutting down on player arbitration salaries. And you hear about revenue going up while player salaries are going down consistently over the last four years. Those are all shitty things. And that's where, you know me, Kyle, I'm pro fan, which usually means I'm pro management, I'm pro owner, but I do see a little bit of ground to the players in this negotiation because while you hear instances like that, you hear instances like the title belt and the revenue and everything going against the players, you hear about them losing out on the last two, three CDA agreements. And that does start to give you a little bit of compassion, but still at the end of the day, I do also put a little bit more onus on the players than a lot of other like pundits about this issue just because at the end of the day it takes two to tango it takes two to make an agreement happen and it seems like the players are slightly unwilling from what i'm seeing because it did seem like at least in that final hour of negotiation the mlb did start to seed ground on a lot of issues the big one that they haven't seeded ground on and this is going to be the one that kind of makes or breaks this is going to be the uh, cbt basically serves as a salary cap a like soft salary cap for the league salary which- cap for everyone except except the Dodgers, like a salary cap for everyone. And then the Dodgers just spend 70 million more than it. Yeah, because there's just going to be some teams that are so financially gifted that they can afford to spend over the luxury tax consistently. Although the Dodgers have been trying to cut down on their salary as well. So I think the Dodgers, although they can, sometimes they are less willing to. I think a big problem too is I think there should be a salary floor because you hear about teams like the Pirates who only spend 50 million in revenue. And I think that's equally as big of a problem. So I think that baseball needs to figure out the salary floor and the salary threshold. And it sounds like they're about like 10 million apart. When you hear about like only being like about 10 million apart on that, that's not that huge to me. That That's not that bad. Like I, I feel like at 10 million, you can work with it. I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And it does seem like, like you mentioned, we're going to get the postseason. We're going to get the World Series. I think everyone's being very reactionary and freaking out about this one. But I, I think at the end of the day, things are going to work out in favor of baseball fans. Uh, the one thing I, I kind of want to throw that to you as well is uh, Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred's been taking all the slings and arrows <laughs> and some of it's deserved. A lot of it's deserved, but I, I will say this: Rob Manfred, he has a boss. In fact, he has 30 bosses. We all have to answer to what our bosses tell us to do. And Rob Manfred is just the poster boy for like what the owners are saying. Like I, I, I am more plugged into baseball than the average person. You're more plugged into baseball than the average person. And we still probably can't name more than half the owners, but we can Ooh. name Rob Manfred off the top of our heads. And I think that's why he's received a lot of hate. And uh, it all goes back to, of course, the Astro scandal. Like everyone would just like to inscribe over Rob Manfred's tomb, the famous words of the World Series trophy is a piece of tin akin to a kindergarten science project of just gluing together a bunch of aluminum cans. That's what Rob Manfred kind of compared the World Series trophy to and baseball fans haven't let him forget about it. What do you think about the idea that Rob Manfred is the fall guy here? In my mind, I'm trying to think if I can get 15 owners. And I think if I count Patrick Mahomes and I count the former owners of the Mariners who are the Nintendo people, I think I can maybe get to 15. But the but still, actually, Stephen Cohen, sixteen. I can get to. I can get to fourteen. Anyways, so the interesting part about Manfred is Rob Manfred is someone who essentially works to break unions. He's been a baseball lifer in the front office. He was the guy during the biogenesis scandal that was prosecuting Alex Rodriguez. Rob Manfred has been a baseball lifer trying to break unions, and he's incredibly unpopular even by commissioner standards because Rob Manfred does not come from a 
a quote unquote baseball background. He's been in baseball forever, but Rob Manfred is originally a labor lawyer and happened to find his way into baseball and was really good at breaking unions during the 2000 and I think it was 2005 union negotiations. I, my year might be off there, but it was the one after the 1999 lockout that was saved at the 11th hour. He was really good at negotiating then. Baseball always used to get screwed by the Players Association and deals. And so it was bringing in people like Rob Manfred that kind of turned the tides in favor of ownership. And then when Rob Manfred replaced Bud Selig instead of John Henry, who is baseball person, owns the Boston Red Sox, previously owned the Florida Marlins. When Rob Manfred got the job over him, it was a sign that baseball was really, really invested in a commissioner that could break unions. And that seemed to be what baseball's priority was more than someone as a caretaker of the game or more than someone who was, you know, in the case of Bud Selig, more of a baseball guy. They wanted someone who could break unions as their commissioner and someone who could negotiate a kick-ass television contract for the playoffs. You know, the good thing though, if you're the MLBPA, if you're Tony Clark is that you have Ron Manfred Payton as such a villain. That way, when fans are talking about why they don't have baseball, they have someone they can point the finger at and say, look at that guy. Look at that idiot who's talking. That's our enemy right there. So Rob Manfred is the best thing that the MLBPA has going for it because they've done a great job, of course, putting themselves as the victim of this whole negotiation here which is smart by them because in the way that the internet works and the way that Twitter works, certainly being the victim in a negotiation works towards your advantage and gain the court of public opinion to shine in your favor is 10 times out of 10 going to be what eventually gets a deal done, gets a lot of pressure done to the MLB in this whole thing. So they're doing a good job as least of painting Rob Manfred as the idiot, the village idiot. And in fact, I would not be surprised if you told me the MLBPA has a few burner accounts they're just tweeting out Manfred memes <laughs> just left and right. I mean, we, hell, we've seen burner accounts from KD. We've seen burner accounts from Philadelphia 76ers GMs. If some LLPPA heads told me, okay, we can manipulate social media to get on yeah. our side here, I would not be surprised. I like the idea of Jack Flaherty creating a burner account to send out mean messages about Major League Baseball. I like this idea. I'm also mad that I can't remember the name of the Cubs owner because that would be that would be an extra one that I forgot in there. I think I could maybe get half of the owners in that game, but even still better than me, Brad. <laughs> so yeah, it's slightly better, but it's still the, the point that you were making with Manfred is correct. I think that because major league baseball had those two or three years where like free agency dragged out into spring training. Uh, I think it was like Eric Hosmer signed right at the start of free agents of Ooh, that's spring a training. Really good point though. You mentioned there because the more things get pushed back, we also got to talk about there still is going to probably be four weeks of spring training. And then we still have all these free agents to sign too. So that's probably going to push it back another couple of weeks. Exactly. And spring training will have to be at the bare minimum three weeks. So that's why by March 15th, two more weeks of games are going to get canceled. You can book it. It will be two more weeks of games canceled. They will cancel all games in April. They may start canceling games in May. I'm not 100% sure, but trust me, all the games in April are going to get canceled. To the point on Manfred still, Manfred really took a hit then within the Players Association. And I think the Astros scandal kind of put it over the edge because 
because the Astros scandal became the thing that union leaders could point to and unify the players around. Look at this joker. Which is ironic because in a way he was protecting players. One of my biggest issues with the entire Astros investigation is that no players ended up getting suspensions out of it, which is smart because of course you want the most information as far as what actually happened. So you're going to grant certain people immunity, but that was the big sticking point towards a lot of fans was that no players saw anything. So the fact that he was actually uh, somewhat defending MLBPA representatives and Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa and whoever else knew about the scandal at the time, Carlos Beltran also throw him in there. Um, Oh, but Carlos Beltran got screwed on that one because Carlos Carlos Beltran Beltran wasn't a player. Yes. And he ended up, of course, losing his head coaching job or managerial job, I should say, where I'm tracking baseball after all, ended up losing the managerial job. And um, obviously you look at the Astros front office and their manager, they ended up losing their job. So that was really the only extra shrapnel from that. So Yes, the MLBPA, they are running the perfect 21st century negotiation by using all their resources to get on their side. Um, The one thing I I would say is just like, in terms of this negotiation is, I I think the fans also kind of have to understand that we're also asking businessmen to make bad business decisions. We're asking businessmen to make a deal against their own best interests. And a lot of these guys, even if we can't name them all, are very well respected in the business world and didn't get that way by making bad business deals. That's where it becomes a point where, do I think the owners are going to take less or take something that goes against their best interests to just put some games on the field? I would very much doubt it. And if they end up having to see to the players and end up having to boost player salaries, they're going to have to earn back that money somewhere else. Where that somewhere else is made, it may be against the fans too and raising like ticket prices, raising concessions, raising parking, whatever way they can get extra money out of it. So even in that cell, players are positioning themselves as the champions of the fans here. But if prices start to raise, then that facade of just being the pure intention, we're doing it for the fans, starts to fade as well. Well, I that 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 idea faded for me. I believe it was five years ago. It was when the it began when the Chargers left San Diego for me. But ever so slightly, that facade faded away. This is not about the fans. It is the, the greatest line I've ever heard about this is fans want to have an emotional relationship with their teams where they can invest and feel love and feel trust. And the teams are like, baby, this is prostitution, man. You are giving us money and we are providing you feel good. Uh, And that is kind of the, the idea with that. But to your point, you are correct. This does very much alienate fans who feel an emotional connection to the team because when I don't have an emotional connection anymore to the sports, other than like, I really, really love the the idea of sports more than I like leagues themselves or teams themselves or institutions. I still really love the sport, but I don't watch as much sports as I used to. I'm not giving as much money to sports as I used to because I recognize how silly all of this stuff actually is. I still love it, but it's not the same way it used to be as a child. And so that will end up happening for a lot of people. And this lockout gives people an excuse to the same way the Astros scandal gave people an excuse to yell and blabber about baseball. Because my argument, my hatred with the Astros scandal is for the exact opposite reason everyone is upset about the scandal. I'm like, this was the biggest crime and punishment situation baseball's had in 50 years. You got a Hall of Fame general manager and three managers fired from their jobs 
as a result of this scandal and people wanted more people punished. I'm like, no, less people get punished for this situation. Just learn and adapt instead of just trying to punish the people who got in trouble. But all of that still bring it to baseball. You're right. The way that this has been a rallying point for players leaves owners in a compromised position because it's just how much are you willing to absorb either of a financial loss or then pass those losses on to the players or the fans? And not to really care about how much money owners lost during COVID, but they did lose a lot of money during COVID. That's why we're even also talking about potentially expansion franchises, because that's one way to potentially recoup that cash. There is an important way to phrase it. They were still making money. They were just making less revenue than they used to. It's an important way to phrase it so people don't think these poor, broke billionaires. They they were making money. They just made less money than they would have normally made. And the way they compensated for that, there are two ways. Basic economic principle. If you want to maximize revenue, you increase your profits or you decrease your costs. With so increase 60 game regular season and not paying the players their full salary. Yes, and not paying players full salaries. And when people come back, increase the prices of tickets and increase the prices of beer and increase the prices of $16 stadium nachos at Petco Park, which I will pay for no matter how expensive you make them because- that good? They're good, man. They are, they got some they got some carne, they got some nacho cheese, sour cream, onions. Oh, it's ah god. That, that's season. someone that also deserves a little bit of talk in this whole thing. And we focus so much on the players, but there's also stadium workers that are losing out on jobs because of this. There's the parking attendants that are losing jobs because of this. So there is an economic effect to people that aren't actively playing baseball. Thankfully, there's still the minor leagues. So at least there's players and fans and workers that are still getting paid to do that. But um, in terms of the actual MLB product, that, that's a lot of jobs. That's a lot of people who work on game days at the ballpark that aren't like seeing their share of the money themselves. So I don't know if they'll ever be compensated in the right way for it. Well, not only that, they are not only not getting to work, they also aren't protected under the union because Major League Baseball Players Association has created a safety reserve. So beginning March 31st, or maybe it started yesterday, I'm not actually sure, but they're going to send out $15,000 a month checks to players, which is obviously across 12 months, only $150,000. So it's, you know, a sixth of what the minimum salary is or a fifth of what the minimum salary salary is, but it's also more than Randy Rosarena made during that season where he hit 11 homers in the playoffs because with a shortened season, he made the equivalent of $90,000 that season. And they had a great poster for the World Series where Randy Rosarena was standing next to Mookie Betts, who had just signed a $340 million contract while Randy Rosarena made $90,000 during that Rays run in 2020. And it was a perfect photo to encapsulate what it is that the union is fighting for minimum salary increases and increases to the competitive balance tax because the Dodgers can just sign Trevor Bauer for $45 million and be like, oops, whatever, we'll go trade for Max Scherzer now. Or, you know, teams with big money, the Red Sox, the Cubs, throw tons of money out. Speaking of throw, I just threw my pencil, throw tons of money out there. And other teams have these gigantic salary floors, whether it be Tampa or Pittsburgh or Baltimore or teams that are just actively not trying to win and cut 
cutting costs. So that's the disparity that is also being fought for right now. Without union protections, uh, a lot of people in Major League Baseball that aren't players are not going to get protected in this situation. And it is unfortunate, but they also don't have bargaining power and society kind of stinks because Major League Baseball has a union. It's incredibly rare for people in private sector jobs to have unions in America. I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope that we have baseball games by May. And if you're Rob Manfred and the MLB and you're hoping to bring fans back, I propose this. The rest of the games played exclusively in Iowa. We get just exclusive <laughs> build of dream games because that's the only time I've ever heard anyone praise anything that baseball has done in the history of ever. Well, let, no. Let's just do all the movie theme games on the Sandlot, Bull Durham. We'll just do them all. Angels in the outfield. I, I don't sure, even know what stadium even, that was. That's probably the only thing that people cared about the Angels for. <laughs> what what field was it in that uh, in the rookie the the rookie of the year the kid who was that just Wrigley Field or that what, was what about the field yep that was for okay the well that one doesn't really same count. goes for the Angels just doing it out there in Anaheim but what like about said, that movie where um where the 38 year old ends up where uh, Dennis Quaid 38 year old becomes a, a major league pitcher well he ended up pitching for the Rays so I guess in theory he would have pitched at Tropicana. I guess that's oh god that baseball wants nothing to do with that then baseball's like to hell with Tropicana. I think I think he actually made his debut in in Texas. So you can play games at the old Texas Ranger Stadium that's across the street from that barbecue grill of a stadium that they built in 2020. Give me all the cornfields and the outfield that the, seeing the home runs disappear into that that was majestic. These guys are on fire. Let's hear more. Second quarter starts now. I was always a big fan of Around the Horn growing up, and a frequent contestant was L.A. Times writer Bill Plaschke. Bill turns my heads this week with a headline, the Lakers must trade LeBron James. It sounds crazy, but it's the best path forward. Sound crazy? Yes. Best path forward? Perhaps. Plenty of other channels and bigger fish have made the conversation on whether the Lakers should, but if they would, Kyle, I ask you, where would you like to see LeBron take his talents to next? What's the best story? Where can LeBron do the most damage? Is the only true answer OKC? Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> that would be so funny. He was praising so Presti funny. this last week. Oh, I thought that meant he wanted Sam Presti to be the Lakers GM, but I think that is uh, that is definitely not going to happen. By the way, just as a quick aside there, because you brought it up, you know how at the trade deadline there used to be like gigantic first round picks getting traded for Evan Fournier? There actually haven't been a lot of first round picks getting traded because all the first round picks belong to Oklahoma City right now. Like Oklahoma City has so many draft picks that teams trying to compete can't trade for these guys. Like Oklahoma City and New Orleans have everyone's draft picks. So all the draft picks can't get traded. It's so weird. Anyways, so I know I've been kind of laughing at the idea of LeBron James getting traded. I know you proposed that gag story a little while back of LeBron and Kawhi Leonard going to Philadelphia. I actually think LeBron James might get traded this offseason. And the only reason LeBron wouldn't get traded this offseason is because he wants to just wait for Bronny to come into the NBA. But this team can't 
win. Like the Lakers have totally botched this thing. And you asked what team would be ideal for LeBron. I don't even know what team is like ready made to become a winner, except for maybe like Charlotte or Cleveland. Play for or... Michael Jordan? No, little, he will never little, go to Charlotte. I know, that is a little fun though. That is fun to just play that one out. I think part of doing this exercise is you know, it just sounds like something that's improbable. There's not an ideal situation that really stands out. There's only really fun scenarios. So Kyle, king of the world, LeBron James, where do you have him in 2023? Well, LeBron James is king of the world and he has a no trade clause. So God, if he goes to Cleveland for like Colin permission Sexton. to break his no trade clause for some reason that was also just written in bottom line of the agreement right under the no trade clause. Kyle Ledbetter dictates where I get traded. Uh, Brooklyn Nets. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Playing with Kevin Durant. You know, I think he's floated the idea of playing with Kevin Durant in the past. I think that when Kevin Durant was a free agent, that conversation kind of started to happen. I mean, hell, Kevin Durant went to Golden State. So would it be really improbable for him to have went to go play with LeBron? Clearly, he didn't mind going with Hall of Famers. Oh, not just Kevin Durant also. They also re-signed Kyrie Irving in this scenario. So LeBron and Kyrie, who do not like each other, would be back together. I'm just doing this to be an anarchist. Well, hey, I I had a little bit of something that's a little bit more conceivable, something that I could see happening. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. I'm coming home to Miami. Yes, to play with Tyler Harrow. And to play with Jimmy Butler, bam, and that with a bam. If he went to any franchise, I kind of wish he would just go to like one of his older franchises. And can you really do Cleveland three times? Can you really do Cleveland three times? No, no, no. Go to Miami. Go ahead and finish what she started there with Pat Riley, because that team is actually built to compete now. And if they had a LeBron James, they'd be scary. They would be scary. Put LeBron just in the middle with Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Bam. I'm scared of that foursome there. Kyle Lowry's still hanging around. He just signed that free agent deal. The only thing is when I really play it out in my mind, obviously you would have to get traded there. And if I'm the Lakers and I'm trading with Miami, I probably want to have Jimmy Butler come back to me. I probably want to have Tyler Hero come back to me. I'm trading LeBron James. So I probably want those pieces on their way back as well as every first round pick you have because I have zero first round pick. My next first round pick is like 2027. If I'm Miami, I'm not even sure I want LeBron James. And I know it's crazy to throw it out there, but LeBron James at this point in his career, I know people are are jumping on the LeBron isn't as good as he used to be. LeBron James is essentially Luka Doncic now, which at 38 years old is ridiculous that LeBron James is essentially Luka Doncic. Like the idea that with that wear and tear on his body, that he's a perennial all-star is incredible. LeBron James is essentially what Luka Doncic is. And that means he's like the eighth best player in the world right now, or the seventh best basketball player in the world, which is no shame, shade to LeBron. Like it's incredible that he's still that good. It's just LeBron James can only make you so good. LeBron James can only get you so close because at this stage of his career, I know we've seen him do it time and time again, but LeBron James will lose in the playoffs to the Bucks. He will lose in the playoffs to the Nets. Maybe not the 76ers. I, I actually, so I will I will do the Cavs thing since that's the only team he would realistically go to for one season. And the Cavs would dump Colin Sexton onto the Lakers and some draft picks so that they could keep the core together if LeBron does decide to 
negotiate a trade with the Lakers this offseason. I will say adding LeBron makes them the third best team in the Eastern Conference. So I, I will give them props there. Like Cleveland has done well in the rebuild, even though I crapped on them for so long. They do have really good pieces there. So yeah. they would be good. Everyone's praising, obviously, again, Colin Sexton, uh, Darius Garland, Jared Allen. All these guys are really starting to develop into their own for Cleveland. And they have a good group. They just obviously just need a superstar that would really elevate them over the top. And certainly you get a distributor like LeBron James. That would be great for those guys' development, at least we think. Because another criticism of LeBron is how he's paired with younger guys. Is LeBron going to change his mindset to whatever new team he would end up on? Does the team have to be a superstar team already so LeBron doesn't go lead GM and say, get rid of all these young guys? Because if he went to Cleveland, would he have that same mindset? Because obviously LeBron just can't overcome these issues anymore. That That's the biggest thing. Like you mentioned, LeBron just isn't good enough to overcome a Russell Westbrook anymore. He isn't good enough to overcome a brittle Anthony Davis. And I'm just going to once again say the tweet that has just been following LeBron around all season. Keep talking about my squad, our personal ages, the way he plays. He stays injured. We're past our prime in the league, et cetera, et cetera. Do me one favor, please. And I mean, please keep that same narrative energy when it begins. That's all I ask. Thank you, crown emoji. Uh, Well, unfortunately, this (laughs) tweet played out like a script. How he plays, Russell Westbrook's been awful. Leading the league in turnovers, plus minus in the tank. Anthony Davis, he stays injured. He stays injured, man. He just stays so injured. If I'm the Lakers, I mean, you mentioned, you, you think it's more likely than not that they can actually see a future where they trade LeBron James. Do you just trade everyone at that point? You just completely clean house, trade AD, trade Russ, trade LeBron, and just see where all these assets lie. See if you get another baby Lakers squad going. Everyone but Anthony Davis, I'm with you on. So there's three points there I want to circle back to. One, in a weird way, the Cavaliers don't have to give LeBron James autonomy and power because this would just be like a one-year stop. Like this would be LeBron saying, next year's going to suck with the Lakers. Let's just do one year in Cleveland. And then Bronny's draft eligible with the new CBA, possibly with the high schoolers can go straight to the NBA, but Bronny's not good enough to go to the NBA. It's very it's very convoluted and complicated. But I was averaging eight points. Uh, this doesn't scream NBA talent to me, but in, in fairness to Bronny, he is, according to ESPN, the 47th ranked prospect in his draft class. Now, in most draft classes, there are not 30 American born players good enough to get drafted. So in an NBA where I think it's now 45% of the league is foreign born to being the 47th best American high school basketball prospect means you're probably going to end up in Iowa or Stockton in the G league. But at the same time, there's time to figure it out. Maybe the idea of drafting LeBron James is a nepotism way of getting a team to draft Bronny and filling a roster spot the same way Thanasis Anadokounmpo is on the Milwaukee Bucks to the point with the Lakers and how you go from here, LeBron makes the call on the trade. If LeBron wants to leave instead of sucking for another year with the Lakers or trying to hang out with his boy AD and I don't know, whoever they sign with mid-level exemption money, then you make the call there based on what LeBron wants to do because he holds all of the power in this situation. If LeBron wants to leave, he gets to leave. If LeBron wants to stay, they'll try it again and and get bounced in the second round. I just wouldn't want to waste another season and this Lakers team, I 
just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel for them. Well, so this is the third part here, which is if you're going to trade Anthony Davis, you got to be really, really sure you are not selling low on Anthony Davis. You got to believe that somewhere in that brittle, broken body is a player that was the greatest draft prospect any of us have seen since Kevin Durant. Like, it's weird that Anthony Davis is not Tim Duncan based on the fact that he can jump 15 feet in the air and also can score the basketball like four different ways. I know he sucks at shooting mid-range and three-pointers, but But he can can score every other way. Can I fix him? Can I fix that broken body? Is there a way? Is there a way to temper that glass? Uh, yes and no. I don't know why it is that Anthony Davis's body breaks down the way it does. The human body, once you have one injury, is more susceptible to suffering more injuries. That's just how the body works. TB12? But- Tom Brady has free time now. Hit him up. What are you doing? I guess. Ask ask Matthew Stafford what he did, because Matthew Stafford went from being the guy who was always injured to the guy who played like 10 straight seasons before the Lions broke his body again. Fairness, that one game where the Cleveland Browns player threw him down and like wrecked his shoulder. Uh, Anthony Davis hasn't really had a lot of those, although he landed awkwardly. Part of it's just, you know, he lands awkwardly and his frame just can't take it. Um, Maybe being more pliable would reduce some of his injuries. I mean, again, that's what TB12 is. I I, I say it in joke, but it, it's a legit thing. If he could become more pliable, get some of those soft tissue injuries to not happen as frequently, then that really could do a lot for him. Get that man some avocado ice cream. Get that man some avocado ice cream right now, Lakers. I know you're out there in Southern California. You have the best access out of anyone in the 50 states to some good quality avocado we should actually call you dr martinez because you have the same number of medical degrees as alex guerrero wow okay well hey if i could start charging people 100k for this one then i'm okay with it as long as i don't have to deal with a b texts at 12 a.m i think i'm good uh, yes we we understand dr martinez you will fix anthony davis's body with plyometrics and avocado ice cream get some yeva de manza so i get a little bit of my latino side coming out it yes. reminds me of my, my grandmother, like uh, she literally like love her to death. She is the um, epitome of that old Mexican grandmother because she's got all these like cure-alls for everything. Yeah, the manza, uh, just, you know, there's, there's this tea she has. I, I don't know what it's called. Does it cure Can- cancer? Like Alex Guerrero said, TB12 yes. would? Yes. Yes, it does. Breast cancer survivor. So maybe, maybe she's, maybe she's got it down. Maybe she's right. Uh, camperated oil, burn a penny on your back. What? Yeah. I've never yeah. heard that one. Yeah. It's kind of like the same idea of cupping essentially. Oh. It's like uh, you just light some alcohol on someone's back with a penny and get a jar. And yeah, it, it's kind of that exact same philosophy. Hey, if you need some quick, like Mexican ways of healing, uh, I, I can get that to you, my friend. I, I may be one of the worst Mexicans ever, but I still got that background. I still got that in my blood. Wow. That was, that was a little harsh. <laughs> you were, you were at the bottom of the list. <laughs> I, I think I'm pretty much up there. I mean, I, you know, am I worse than Carlos Mencia? No, but then again, Carlos Mencia isn't actually Mexican. I did not know that. How about that? Yeah, I learned something new every day. That's the whole reason him and Joe Rogan beefed in the mid two thousands, because I think his real name is like Ned. <laughs> Ned Mencia is a totally different person. Ned Mencia is working as like a nine to five bartender. From my understanding, the uh, owner of what, the comedy club, Mindy Shore, essentially told him like, hey, you should really like ham that up. The Mexican accent, the act, 
And hey, it worked out for him. He obviously got a show on Comedy Central. Uh, his stand-up specials blew up. But then when he started getting called out for stealing people's jokes, that kind of that kind of ended his career there. But um, that, that's a no-no. Yeah, that, a don't steal no-no. other people's jokes. Don't don't do that. Um, unless you're on a two-hour podcast where no one noticed. Because come on, who's listening anyway? I'm, I'm yeah. Trying. So also Anthony Davis. Uh, you yeah. know, be very and, careful if you're going to trade Anthony Davis. Exactly. Uh, Anthony Davis don't have the career arc of Carlos Mencia. He peaked really firmly, but you don't want to go downhill from here. His stilling of jokes is equivalent to your injury history. Yeah, sort of, except, oh God, Anthony Davis. He might steal jokes more frequently, in fairness. There was one season back when he was on the Pelicans where Anthony Davis had, throughout the season, 24 different injuries listed on the injury report, which is a fact I like to bring up every time we mention Anthony Davis's injury history. It's really incredible. Out there looking like Baker Mayfield. And when he's healthy, he can still lead a team to the second round of the playoffs with a bunch of scrubs and Drew Holiday. Can, but he really hasn't done that much in his career aside from the bubble year. And you did mention that one year where he played Denver in the first round, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the year that they got the sweep in the first round. Yeah, um, they put up 50 points. Or no, that was the Trailblazers, right? Blazers, yes. It yeah, was the Trailblazers. Blazers. by Denver. No, they got crushed by Golden State that year. Okay, okay, okay. This Here, was... I- um. Remember this, Yao and Blue. Yeah, this was the Rajon Rondo. It was half a season of Boogie Cousins, I think. I don't think Boogie played in the playoffs, but this was the Boogie Cousins first got to the Pelicans season. Getting back to the main topic here, LeBron James. If you're LeBron James, um, it's just you're tying your ship to this guy. You're tying your ship to this guy who's been injured. Um, <laughs> Since when? Since when has LeBron ever tied his ship to anyone? LeBron is the well, burn you, shit to the ground and then you leave. Stay another year, if you stay another year, you essentially tied your ship to him because it doesn't seem like the Lakers are going to trade him. And like you mentioned, if they are, they just can't trade low. They can't get subpar value for him. I don't know what the right deal is for him because you hear some of the other trades, hear some of the other names out there. Is it a Bradley Bill? Is it a Damian Lillard? Guys that would make the Lakers defense worse. Uh, you are probably getting rid of Russell Westbrook. Um, does any bit of that cap relief or that salary tax relief um, result in a better player? Going back to our Lakers interview with um, Big Baby Jonathan Sofal, Derek Rose is among the top people listed. I mean, Derek Rose, another guy who's in his mid-30s. This is what this team has turned into. It just seems like a meme. It just seems like a meme of how old they are. Like yeah. someone like listed all the all-stars and I'm like, man, there's so many names on here. You know, Carmelo, DeAndre Jordan, who's gone now, uh, Anthony Davis, Dwight, <laughs> you know. Oh, and, Dwight got postered by Luca the other day. That was brutal. Yeah, yeah this is. You look at the last few games. I mean, I, I watched every minute of them against the Pelicans and I kept saying to myself, why are they not up on this team by like 30? Because the Pelicans are so bad too. But the fact is, Russell Westbrook kept turning the ball over. LeBron kept turning the ball over. They almost had 30 turnovers in that game. There was one point where Westbrook had zero assist, but seven turnovers. What, what do the Lakers do well? They turn the ball over. They don't play defense. Uh, they're not a great shooting team. They're not even a good shooting team. There's just nothing that this team hangs its hat on aside from having the all-stars of the mid-2000s. Well, and LeBron James still being one of the seven to eight best players in the NBA. Wherever LeBron plays next year, factor this into a potential trade. At least you get the honor of being the team that LeBron gets to break the all-time scoring record with. 
Yeah, yeah. This is more of an impossible situation for LeBron because if he had not signed the extension after the championship, then LeBron would have been able to leave after this offseason and it would have been the career arc of LeBron where he spent four years in a place and then dip out. But And I don't blame him for signing after that because I thought what she thought, which the rest of the world thought, that the Lakers were still going to be competing by this point. We went into the season and I had no problem with you having the Lakers in the top five. Where I started questioning you on it was like two months later where the Lakers look just awful and are trailing behind in the standings. I'm like, are you sure they're a top 10 team? And then- Oh, I held out for a long time. Yeah. I was large sample size person. Now they're going to they're gonna plummet because they're quitting. Like they're they're absolutely just quitting on, on the team right now. They're, they're over this shit. So they're going to- like free fall from here. Also, I will defend the New Orleans Pelicans. They are, they've actually done very well. CJ McCollum's averaging 31 points a game since getting traded. That looks like it's going to be one of the best trades of the last two years in the NBA. Like if, if, <laughs> if Zion shows up to play at some point, hopefully. With or without, they're going to get a play-in game against some shitty team in the Western Conference because there's only six good teams in the Western Conference. So, you know, they could make a series. True, but long-term projections, I'm sure that CJ and Zion together would be a good combination for New Orleans to really take advantage of, of having a veteran mentor behind him. How about, uh, how about CJ and Brandon Ingram? How about that as the tandem? And you know what, how let, let's just say this, let's say Lakers Julius trade Randall. LeBron to the Pelicans and just get all your picks back, get Brandon Ingram back. Get, yeah. Get all those guys back. Let, let's get just, the band back together. You actually can do that. Cause I think Larry Nance is on the Pelicans now too. So you can get him back there. The only problem is you don't have Josh Hart anymore. So no Josh Hart, no Lonzo. If you can work out a three-way trade to make Chicago do that, I, I don't know. I, I think Chicago is actually well. You got to get satisfied. Caruso back. You got you got to go Caruso and Lonzo with the with the Bulls. Ah, LeBron could go to the Bulls. Just really stick it to Jordan, win it with his franchise. Actually, I, I really the more I thought about it, I actually am with you that if Bronny got drafted by the uh, <laughs> by the Hornets, that would be great because here you have Michael Jordan drafting Lamelo Ball. <laughs> After LeVar Ball had shit talked him all those years, and oh god, oh Ronnie no, LeBron James coming to you. I'm with him now. Actually, LeBron, LeBron playing with LeVar Ball sitting courtside would be the most anarchist shit I have ever seen. That would be Michael Jordan. Like, Didn't he, have he hasn't said anything year? about it. Ugh. Wasn't that the first year of LeBron then? Exactly. Yeah. That's why it would be so funny because oh, LeBron yeah. traded his son. I traded your son. Yeah, yes, there, yes. I'm with it. LeBron James to the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, God. Or OKC. The Slumbuster guys are killing it. Half done. Third quarter is beginning now. Things just got shaken up in the world of broadcasting. And no, I'm not talking about our shiny new drops. ESPN doled out a lot of money to Troy Eggman to revamp their Monday night football broadcast. Eggman has been with Fox for 20 years, but will now be pocketing 18 mil a season on his new deal. Troy will not be the only big name on the move. His former partner in crime, Joe Buck, is on an expiring contract. And legend Al Michaels is a free agent. Mike Dreco will be filling in for him on Sunday night football moving forward. Reportedly, Michael 
Nichols is the prime target for Amazon as it becomes the exclusive home of Thursday night football. However, before signing a new deal, Michaels wants to know he has a good partner. Enter Kirk Herbstreet as Amazon can sign Herbie while allowing him to continue covering games for ESPN for college football. Other names getting thrown around are Greg Olson, retired Saints coach Sean Payton, Kyle from the news and rumors at this point. Who's been the biggest winners? Who has been the biggest losers? of this announcer shakeup. Do you think it enhances these respective broadcasts? Well, enhances the broadcast is another question, but I will say the big winners are the NFL's 32 owners who I think I could do more NFL than, than baseball. It'd be close, but I think I can get more NFL owners than baseball. I'll, I'll think about that later, but even still with major, with the NFL television shakeup is you get to have your corporate partners spending exorbitant amounts of money on broadcasters and ultimately investing more money will lead to better products. Behind the scenes, the person who had been uh, producing NBC's Sunday Night Football for, I believe, the past eight years, I don't remember the person's name, but they got picked up by Amazon on this hiring cycle as well. So even behind the scenes, there are exorbitant amounts of money being spent on these NFL television broadcasts. It may not look that much visually different to us because they're not doing anything that's going to revolutionize the broadcast. It's really just getting the most qualified people who are already good at doing the broadcast that we're used to. And so getting those people in positions where they're going to to different broadcast partners and large amounts of money being spent are going to be a win for the NFL. I don't know how it benefits Amazon to spend that much money other than just dipping into your profits. I don't know if it generates more revenue unless you're selling it to advertisers. Come on, man. Jeff Bezos, he owns the world at this point. 18 million or 20 million, whatever he pays to L. Michaels, pocket change. Fair enough. If you're cool with just having fun things instead of making money, which I'm totally in favor of that, I'm cool with you just spending shit tons of money. Bezos has two gears. Can I go to space or can I own an NFL team? Right now he can't own an NFL team. So he's doing the next best thing. He's trying to buy the NFL. <laughs> he could buy the NFL if he wanted to. He could buy all sports leagues and still have uh, a lot of money left over even still. It's, it's weird how, but and how the rich lockout. Bezos is. And baseball's lockout. Come on, Jeff Bezos, buy all 30 franchises. Go for it. Make our game. How much, how much would it cost to buy all of this? I think that would be something like in the NFL, probably like a hundred billion plus dollars maybe well hey i posted that chart of like the last time nfl franchises were sold and david tepper of course bought the panthers for about two billion you estimate that every franchise would probably be about that much 32 times two well, well tepper billion. also only bought Pro- like 80 percent of the panthers yeah. i think you would probably say that more of those franchises are probably going to be like four billion at least because that's what the broncos are going to be estimated at this next time around i'm sure there's going to be some outlier brands like the cowboys are probably closer to 10 billion or something like that i would say you're probably talking about close to 100 billion which um if you're again jeff bezos and you're a trillionaire okay you or your ex-wife can buy them. That is true. Also, Apple getting into the game would be interesting. I know Apple has talked about trying to get into the sports streaming game as a way to boost Apple TV+. Plus. By the way, quietly, the more likely scenario is Apple just buying Disney. That's another thing that might happen in the next three or four years. Apple and then they buying have ESPN. Disney. Well, and that's crazy to me because 
Well, Disney owns everything. Disney just bought Fox. Yeah, but Disney is only worth, I believe, $70 billion right now. And Apple is worth $3 trillion. So it would be pocket change for them to buy the Disney Corporation. It's like that Star Wars quote that there's always a bigger fish. This, that's exactly what's happening. There's always a bigger fish in this corporate environment that we're in. Uh, going back to the broadcast themselves, I'm just happy for Monday Night Football because those games deserve a big game fill. And say what you want about eight and Buck. I've always been a huge defender of Aikman and Buck because to me, that broadcast is only slandered in the same way Nickelback is slandered by the internet. Someone on the internet told you to hate it, so you hate it. And you hate Joe Buck because the internet said so, and you're trying to form an opinion for yourself. No, Joe Buck's fine. Troy Aikman's fine. And Troy Aikman and Joe Buck always get that big game feel to any game that they broadcast. And I think that that's deserving of Monday Night Football because it's a standalone game that everyone in America tunes into or every huge NFL fan tunes into because the ratings will even show that. And I think it can only improve the product because, you know, I'm going to say something controversial to a lot of people. I wasn't a big fan of the Manning cast. We kind of had this discussion off air. I wasn't a huge fan of it because the audio, everything could just, the quality kind of varied from time to time. So I would just prefer if my typical broadcasters that I tune into were just good at what they're doing because the Booger McFarlane's, Jason Witten era, (laughs) everything past Gruden. Which is funny because of all Gruden's faults, Gruden was the best thing they had and losing Gruden killed that broadcast for a while. John Gruden used to be the highest paid uh, employee at ESPN for, for, I think, four or five years. And knowing what they lost in his absence, I would say he was almost deserved. Well, in hindsight, ESPN should have paid him more than the $10 million or $11 million a year the Raiders were offering him. Now, maybe he wanted to go coach the Raiders no matter what, but I believe his last year he made like $7.5 million to be Monday Night Football broadcaster, and now Trey Aikman's making $18 million a year. And they wanted to pay Tony Romo that, and they wanted to also pay Peyton Manning that, but they weren't able to stag those fish, so they went after Fox and went after Troy Aikman. And I never thought Aikman was going to leave Fox. I, I thought that that was just... He was there until he was done. So well, this Fox, was an incredible. Fox lowballed him was the reason why. Fox only offered him, I believe, fourteen million dollars a year. And you wonder if it kind of goes back to the playoffs because he did voice frustrations that he wasn't able to call the Cowboys the Niners game in the playoffs. And I, I was thinking that too. I'm like, how is this game not on Fox? It just seems right <laughs> up Troy Aikman's alley. And he gets to have that pretty boy Tony Romo still his broadcasting game. Well, everyone wanted that game on on the the pick of the litter for the the wild card weekend broadcast everyone wanted the 49ers cowboys it still might be one of the highest rated games of the playoffs i would have to fact check that but i if you said it i would believe it because there are a lot of dallas cowboy fans i think probably the highest rated one of wild card weekend would be my bet but oh for sure hands down i think the only games that probably are higher rated are going to be the championship games and the super bowl Maybe I would say under the normal Packers certain- Niners game might have been close, but I, I think for the most part, the Niners, when they're good, they have huge ratings. The Cowboys, uh, when they're good, yeah. they have huge ratings. You combine those two franchises and you just have a monster of a ratings day under normal circumstances i agree with you we just forget how ridiculous that divisional round weekend was because bills and chiefs was like the highest rated non-championship slash super bowl game yes but you have to make that decision ahead of time i I know obviously you can get ratings throughout the course of a game but a lot of people just made it a point i'm going to sit down and i'm going to watch the cowboys and niners whenever those two brands go against each other and again you can fact check it it's kind of hard to do research in show, but 
I'm 99% sure that is the case. It, it was only trumped by the championship games in the Super Bowl. Bringing it back to Buck and Aikman, because this relates to that point is I don't really understand the appeal of people wanting a quote unquote standalone broadcast team because Buck and Aikman were doing Thursday night football before and they did the game of the week on Fox, which if it was a good game, which was maybe once every three weeks or so, where it's like one of those, you have to sit down and watch the Bucks versus the Saints, or you have to sit down and watch the Rams against the, I don't know, Packers, which I think that game might have actually been on CBS this year, but still it's weird that people didn't want that. I mean, I'll tell you why it it just, their voices, we're so used to seeing them come up in key spots and big games. It just adds like a different feel to it that you just don't get when you have no disrespect to these guys because they're great at what they do, but like the B teams and the C teams of broadcasters that come in when Buck and Aikman ended up doing Thursday night football, regardless of the game, it could have been the Jag versus the Eagles and you would feel like this is a big game this is a big prime time spot because those two were on it and they at least had a little bit of fun with it and they they made the game feel more important than it is which I think is a key role for those dynamics being the core man being the play-by-play guy you just have to make each game feel important in its own right and that's what ESPN has been lacking with their Monday night football broadcast these games just all seem like throwaway games and maybe in the grand picture of things, they are throwaway games, but you don't want the viewer to know that going in. You don't want the viewer to fill that during the game. You want someone that kind of makes them buy in to why they're watching the broadcast in the first place. So I always was fascinated by this. Is it that those people have big game voices because they've always been calling big games or is it that they have big game voices because they were qualified to have big game voices? It's probably a little bit chicken versus egg argument because I'm sure that they didn't start that way and Joe Buck of course had a little bit of an in being that his father was a Hall of Fame level broadcaster himself and Troy Aikman people associate him with Super Bowls so he's always going to be looked on more fondly than someone like Greg Olson who's a fine tight end probably a Hall of Fame tight end, but not the quarterback of three Super Bowl champions. Uh, In the same way, Joe Buck, you know, has called all these World Series, has called all these Super Bowls. So any new play-by-play guy is not going to be looked at in the same light that Joe Buck is or be as famous as Joe Buck is. I'm sure there's that next generation of broadcasters that hates that these guys still are taking up all the shine. But at least for the casual viewer, I I think that there is something to these guys having that role. And that, that also goes to Al Michaels. We haven't even talked about Al Michaels' side of the things. He's a free agent. He hasn't officially signed on for Amazon. He still can pair with Aikman which would be just a huge ground shifting if he went to ESPN as well, because then you talked about also splitting up that dynamic duo of Buck and Aikman for Michaels and Aikman. And you kind of wonder, will they have chemistry? Chemistry is also going to be a big part of this, right? I mean, we're co-hosts here. We we run this podcast together and it'd be very hard for us to run this podcast if we had zero chemistry. So I'll be curious to see, does Aikman just pick up with Michaels where he left off with Buck? And that that's just not a given sometimes. I mean, some, how maybe Jason Witten could have been a great broadcaster. Maybe he could have been a great no, guy. No, no. I will, I will end not. your sentence right there. No, Jason Witten is the worst broadcaster I have ever heard ever call games. It was terrible <laughs> and we should never do that again.
Are you saying you weren't thrilled with him pulling a rabbit out of his head? <laughs> <laughs> Jason Witten was so bad at commentary, but he got the job because he was a white Dallas Cowboy. And ESPN was like, how do we replace John Gruden? White Dallas Cowboy? Nope. Booger Mobile? Nope. Just getting the C college football team? It was actually fine. No one complained about Steve Levy and Brian Greasy and Lou Riddick. They just were a broadcast team. I would say the three-man booth wasn't great. I, I prefer a two-man booth, and maybe it's because I've just been raised by a two-man booth my entire life, but three-man booth, it, it just always sounds choppy. I mean, you, we've had guests on, you know, we, we've talked with guests, and sometimes the big fear when you have guests on is, are we going to be talking over each other all the time? And I think that also kind of happened occasionally in their broadcast. So that part's interesting, too, and this brings back to the Joe Buck thing, because I Again, personally, I don't know the situation, but I don't understand why Joe Buck would leave Fox to go to ESPN, except for the news that I saw this week that NBC may be trying to buy Major League Baseball rights when their contract comes up, at which point, ooh, that changes the game of Joe Buck not only doesn't just have the NFL he also doesn't have World Series anymore well you know I was listening to Al Michaels do an interview this week and he was talking about why that was something he was very disappointed in he he wishes he could still call baseball games and I, he was saying that he was really disappointed when NBC originally lost the ability to have baseball games so you kind of wonder if that happened Al's just sitting on the couch you know like I said he's a free agent now NBC says, hey, we got baseball back. Does that persuade him to come back? I mean, that would be unfair to Mike Tirico, of course, who's been waiting for that job. But if I'm Al, I want to call baseball games. I want to continue calling big primetime football games. NBC's offering me, I'm guessing now the new market is close to 20 million. Uh, why wouldn't I just go back with NBC if that happened? Al Michaels is is done with NBC as the way things stand right now. Al Michaels is 77 years old, one, but also they would have renewed Al Michaels around. They brought in Tariko to be the pass off. People still trust Michael to call big games. And it's a weird thing because he was the Monday night football guy for eight years, nine years, and he kind of waited in between. But people still think of Mike Tirico as a big game broadcaster. And he has a big he has a big game voice. I would say Tirico is great. And I'm perfectly fine with him taking over the Sunday night broadcast because I think him and Collinsworth will be a good duo. I, I think well, fine. this is always difficult because I don't know what makes a big game voice. Like, for example, I don't usually pick and choose broadcasters all that much, but I love Brian. Anderson. Brian Anderson calling baseball and basketball is a great commentator. And I don't know if people think of him as a big game voice, but Brian Anderson is now the lead voice of, or second lead voice of the NBA and baseball. And I might be biased here, but when it comes to baseball, I've been spoiled in the Bay Area with Crook and Kipe um, for the Giants games. And then, of course, on the radio side of things, you have John Miller. So I always associate John Miller with big time baseball games. You just hear these guys and they they just have that voice. I mean, we, we know it. Uh, you know, part of the thing that I, I always think back on why I was hesitant to do a podcast in the first place, I was like, is my voice good enough? That was just one thing that I always battled internally with myself. Is my voice good enough? And I listen to these guys and they just have it for me. I, I just that you talked about the new format being like old school radio. Well, th there's still people that like that. A little bit of nostalgia. Like people like your old time broadcaster impersonation. <laughs> you, know? you mean like this? You mean like the 1940s and uh, when we had real men playing football and uh, the old Ted Leitner from San Diego was calling games in the 1970s. Shout out to Uncle Ted. Uncle Ted retired last year. He was a uh, voice of San Diego sports 
for 45 years. Shout out to old Uncle Teddy. But uh, just have Super Bowl winning quarterback just smoking cigars at halftime. Uh, uh, Len Dawson, I believe, Len is who Dawson, you're going there for you there. Go. Yeah, yes, yeah. Len Dawson just ripping a heater at halftime. Uh, yeah, so this is something interesting for myself is I think that people are generally opposed to change, especially in institutions like sports. And again, this broadcast teams are going to change, but that's a product of the NFL wanted the broadcast teams to change. This is the same thing that's changing as all of this money comes into the NFL. I know the NFL has a lot of money, but the NFL has a lot more money now than they used to. And so this shakeup is the same thing that's happening in college football. Should these institutions be paying $20 million a year for broadcasters? No, they shouldn't, but they're going to do it. It's a fun lottery. Like it's, you're going to put people together who maybe work, maybe don't. I know Buck and Aikman had great chemistry and Al Michaels says glowing things about Chris Collinsworth. And they were institutions for really 15 years, like other than the Tony Romo switch, which happened to work out incredibly for CBS, like other than that switch, there hasn't been any shakeup of broadcast teams in the NFL. And I think people are kind of freaked out by that because it's change and things that are that are unknown can be weird to people, but it's Talk still some of the years. same voices. You're, you talked about 20 years, you know, I mean, Al Michaels has been with Collinsworth since Madden. <laughs> yeah. 2009 was when that switch happened. And then you have Aikman and Buck 20 years. Jim Nance took over for Greg Gumbel, I think in 2004. And then it was Phil Sims, And then it was Tony Romo. But this is like a, a shakeup of all of the teams. Like all of them are going to look and sound different. I, I think it's also because we don't think of our broadcasters like we think about our players just shifting teams that the right the fact that we have a little extra added free agency that we didn't even know about here we are thinking we're going to talk about players moving teams and we get to see our broadcasters moving teams. it is the exact same thing that happened last offseason in college football which is massive amounts of money changed the game now it's only going to change it one time once the teams are set they're probably going to be set for the next five or six years but this is the offseason where everyone's moving quickly in musical chairs to make their changes. Uh, CBS is good. CBS was ahead of the curve on this one. They got Nance. They got Romo. They're good for the next like 20 years. Fox is going to change everything up. NBC just changed theirs up. Amazon wants to get in this game. ESPN wants yeah. to get in this game. Apple's going to get in this game eventually. And if I had to name a loser, I think Fox right now is looking like the loser in this whole exchange because losing Aikman, I feel is losing like one of their big guys. And I'm hearing, like I mentioned, Greg Olson is someone they talked about to pair with Buck and we'll see if Greg Olson does fine in that position I mean he's done okay with what he's done so far so I, I don't think he'll be bad you know it's just mm-hmm. like how is he going to have chemistry with with Buck that that's going to be the big question going into that one or Sean Payton if Sean Payton really does want to do broadcasting and they pair him with Buck, that's their declaration that they think Sean Payton's going to work. I, I heard the recent news was that Sean Payton might be going to the desk for the Fox free pregame team. That would make more sense because there's also been instances, I and mean, we talked about it with J- Jason Witten, players, coaches, they don't always translate to the broadcast booth. It's not a given. Randy Moss didn't translate to the broadcast booth either. Joe Montana didn't. Bill Walsh didn't. It's not a shoo-in <laughs> that you're just going to be a legendary broadcaster just because you either played or coached the game. No, because you actually have to be good 
good at it. None of these people are. This is the other funny part about this. None of these people are qualified for any of these jobs. Charles Davis, who is the the second guy at CBS, he spent 20 years doing TV broadcasts to become the number two person at Fox and then the number two person at CBS. Like Troy Aikman got the job because he's a white Dallas Cowboy quarterback. Like none of these people are qualified for any of these jobs. Quarterback, but you know, it's semantics it's it's the equation right it's it's dallas cowboys in your broadcasting booth it's faces of people that you know that's why espn brought jason witten into retirement just and so that's he why could do NBC that wants drew Brees to work out as well right exactly yeah drew Brees is the same idea the the famous guy say nothing quarterback uh in drew Brees is not interesting at all as a broadcaster but it's the same reason why tony romo got the cb number one cbs job without any qualification for the job he'd never been a broadcaster before in his life and he got the number one job at cbs and the same like reason said, that we lucked into romo being good at it yeah exactly we lucked into romo being a very good broadcaster and they want to throw money at peyton manning peyton manning just doesn't want to do it unless it's on a zoom call with his brother and yeah. and you know, peyton might not be good i mean we, we assume peyton's gonna be good because we just see this charismatic guy he's got a few jokes he's He's funny. He might not be good at like that particular format, that color man and that play-by-play guy. That just might not be suited for him. And I think maybe we've overestimated that. I know I was on team. I want Peyton Manning in the booth, but maybe Peyton is just trying to be upfront and honest with us that he doesn't believe he'll be good at it. Peyton Manning's also too good for that because Peyton Manning's worth like $250 million. And why would you want to do actual work? Because those jobs are really hard. Like I know that people like... I've, I've I know people things. think that it's coming on there. Things. I can't remember who I was hearing to on an interview was say, it's like the easiest job in the world. You show up, maybe you know some of the players, maybe you don't. Either way, you get a spreadsheet of all the players on game day, and then you can figure <laughs> it out. How good you are really depends, I guess, on how much work you're willing to put in. I, I guess like anything, because mm-hmm. you could just be one of those guys that just shows up on game day and just reads the roster and you're like, okay, I'm good. But you might not yeah. reflect that in your broadcast. Actually putting- No, I, I should clarify that. I should clarify that. Being the, the play-by-play person is incredibly, incredibly difficult. I don't understand how Joe Buck does 13 games in 15 days. Like it's, at, it's ridiculous that Joe Buck had that schedule during October. Okay, I'm with you. Like I said, internet, you're a little too harsh. Joe Buck is fine. Leave Joe Buck alone. Joe Buck is a consummate professional. Chris Collinsworth does a lot of work for this stuff. Like Chris Collinsworth spent a lot of time buying pro football focus and learning stats. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet's the same way, which brings it to the Amazon part of this, which is incredible. I think Fox is a loser, but Fox is going to be fine. Like, I don't think that Joe Buck and Troy Aikman as great as they are. Joe Buck and anyone I think is going to be fine. Troy Aikman's not special to me in that way. He just has a voice that we're used to now. Amazon's in a weird place because Amazon's just going through the Rolodex of famous people. They tried Peyton Manning. They tried Troy Aikman. They tried uh, Sean McVay. They tried Sean Payton. They've gone through the Rolodex and they're just running out of people to do their Thursday night football broadcast. Amazon, just saying, John Gruden is a free agent right now. <laughs> no, NFL, <laughs> NFL's got approval on all of this stuff, but that, that would be fun. I told you, Bezos will buy them. Bezos will buy them. 
And by the way, Amazon to get into this game had the simulcast of Thursday Night Football for the past couple of years. And they did Beth Mullins and Hannah Storm doing the broadcast before. It's only now that they're in the game as like the exclusive broadcasting partner that the NFL has instructed them to go get the big people. Because I watched two of those Amazon broadcasts one time. I think one of them was for that 49ers and Cardinals game that had like CJ Beathard or some shit. But anyways, like that broadcast was fine. It sounded like a a, a C broadcast or a B broadcast. I would think that someone would want to try like Gus Johnson as a broadcaster because Gus Johnson does that college football-y voice thing. And obviously they want Al Michaels to be the person for the the Amazon broadcast. And, you know, Al Michaels wants to know who his play-by-play person is, but they're just going through the Rolodex and they can't find anyone who's just a big, splashy name. Now there's a total overqualification of great broadcasters out there. Go get Charles Davis from CBS to do it and you're going to have a great broadcast. It's just Amazon is kind of being instructed by the NFL to just get big names. And I don't know whether that's a win or that's a lose. I think it's just the idea of the unknown is appealing to someone. Cause if, uh, I don't know who are, who are we talking about? If Sean McVay is terrible at broadcasting, well, you can just fire him and get another one in there. Like you just keep trying unknowns until you hit on a Tony Romo. But like with the yeah. ESPN one, no one complained about the ESPN broadcast. No one had great things to say about it, but no one complained about Lou Riddick and Brian Greasy and Steve Levy. Cause they had chemistry. They'd been doing college football together for six years they were a really good team just no one paid attention to it and I don't know I guess the NFL wants people like us to have conversations about their broadcast teams to generate publicity for the NFL right this is just typical off-season banter and I'm okay with it because we've managed to stretch this single subject into I'm guessing somewhere around 20 to 30 minutes so kudos to the NFL kudos to Amazon kudos to ESPN kudos for Fox NBC for making us talk about it like you mentioned we'll see as these teams get more sad and I'm sure it will be fine like you mentioned we'll, we'll see how the chemistry concerns get worked out but they're all great all these personalities are great because they all put in the hard work like we're talking about and now starts the final quarter buckle up, buckle up. this is the Slumbuster Podcast uh, joining us today we got Dan Kotnick of Lombardi's Bar Podcast, which you can find on the Game on Wisconsin website. Plenty of drama in this offseason already so far. How have you been dealing with the stress levels, Dan? I dealt with the stress levels perfectly by having a newborn child two days after the Packers were eliminated from the playoffs. So I decided to compound the regular drama that comes with a Packers offseason by also raising a new human life form. So my <laughs> my my offseason has been crazy so far. It's it, Thankfully, it's been a little bit of a He's given me a little bit of a distraction from from the usual stuff. And th- thank God this is this is light compared to what it was last year, what we had to deal with in the offseason last year. This is this is just a, di- a different brand, but a little less uh, drama, I think, going into this year. Well, first off, Dan, I guess congratulations. That's where we got to start <laughs> yeah. this one. So 
you know, get that going here. I think we have, we don't have a celebration drop, but I'm sure I can work in like some breaking news somewhere along that line here for the pod viewers or pod listeners at home. All right. Well, my first question to you, I mean, like I said, it's not as bad of the drama, but there still is plenty of drama surrounding mm-hmm. this team. I mean, Aaron Rodgers dropping 10 photo Instagram slides, just thanking everyone and basically saying, is he retiring? Is he not? I don't know. Maybe one of those two. Um, one of the principles I kind of like live my life on, especially when I'm evaluating players in the NFL, is basically your talent has to outweigh your drama. And we no doubt about it. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is talented. He's probably the most talented in the trophies will back it up. But have we reached that point? Have we reached that point with Aaron where his drama is starting to cloud his talent? Yeah, I I mean, that's that's the million dollar question for every single Packer fan that's out there. I, mean, I, I wrote some stuff uh Back in, during the regular season, you know, when he had his whole issue of vaccinated and immunized and all of that. And, you know, for me personally, because I think it is a I think it is a personal decision for every Packer fan when they when you talk about it. For me personally, I'm I'm at the point where now I'm very much over the drama in years past when stuff came up and even probably in the last off season, you're at the point where it was kind of more of an anxious waiting of what's he going to do? How's this going to affect the team? You know, what's the future going to look like? And now at this point, after the the saga that went on last offseason, the drama we've had this whole regular season and, and even into the postseason, and then the game that ended the Packers season against the 49ers, where it was really, I think, one of the first times that a good portion of Packer fans saw a playoff performance from this Packers team that was a complete dud, basically. And a lot of them said, it was squarely on Aaron Rodgers as opposed to years past when it was, you know, it, it was, they couldn't find a defense. They couldn't find an offensive line. They couldn't do this. They couldn't do this. Th- that game really squarely was on the shoulders of Aaron Rodgers. And so for me personally, I'm at the point now where I, I trust what the front office has done with this team, how they've tried to set the team up for the future. And if he would like to come back and play, I'm not going to turn him away at this point, but if he decides to retire, then Happy trails, partner. It was a beautiful ride, and I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to make peace and, and move on with with the future at this point. Dan, I wanted to ask you about the Devonte Adams situation because it's a weird limbo that the Packers find themselves in right now, and that Devonte Adams finds himself in because he didn't sign the extension last year. He's going to get franchise tagged sometime in the next five to six days before the deadline passes and it's almost as if Rogers's situation will help dictate what his situation will be because we kind of figure out what direction the Packers are going. So what do you make of the situation with Devonte Adams? And um, what does the timeline look like for a resolution when it comes to Adams? It's a tricky one. It really is because if, the, if you look at the track record for this front office with Brian Gutekunst, every time that they've worked on making a deal for a player to keep them around, they've made it work. Last year, we saw talks with Aaron Jones get cut off early on in the season. Aaron Jones played out the rest of his season and people thought this is the end. This is the last season we're going to see of Aaron Jones. And then in early part of the offseason, they re-signed him to another deal. and. It feels like that's the precedent for Devontae Adams is that they want to work on a deal with him. They want to get a deal done. Like you said, they need to franchise tag him. I think that's part of the uh, the cap space gymnastics that they've been having to kind of work over the last couple of days. But I don't think necessarily that the Devontae Adams contract 
directly affects what Aaron Rodgers will do, but I do think Aaron Rodgers' decision will affect what Devontae Adams wants to do. I think, I think there is a little bit of Aaron Rodgers wanting to wait and see what happens with Devontae, but I think that if they come to just a gentleman understanding of Devontae Adams is arguably the best wide receiver in the league and he needs to go get his bag somewhere else, and I think they, I think they would probably come to that agreement if Aaron Rodgers wants to come back for one more year. I think he does. I think it's, it's just very tricky though. This one, I, I talked about the president, but this one is just very unique because, like you said, the cap space is hard to get there before the before the new league year starts with a franchise tag. And then also, when you look at the rest of the the team, they have the highest paid left tackle. They have the highest paid defensive lineman and they have Jair Alexander cornerback who most likely will want to demand highest paid cornerback money. How long can you build a team with three or four of the highest paid people at their position and still be competitive around everywhere else? Devontae Adams is on the, you know, the back end of his career. He's definitely still in his prime, but he's trending downwards in terms of his time, not his talent, but his time. And so this, it it really feels like this is a time for the Packers to cut their losses, cut bait, move on, develop more talent. It it forces the rest of your team to step it up a little bit, the rest of some of that talent. And so for me, I think that we see either a Devontae Adams walks into free agency or the Packers somehow franchise tag him in an attempt to hopefully get a new deal done. And if not look to sign and trade that kind of thing, I think most likely I would say he walks in free agency is probably the most likely scenario, just because there's just way too many gymnastics to to figure out with his contract. I'm glad you mentioned the cap gymnastics that the Packers are going to have to do. You talk about having to deal with all these highest paid players at their respective positions And in the last week, we've also seen more murmurs on the Rodgers front that he himself wants to be the highest paid quarterback, which would look something like a $50 million a year contract. And in a vacuum, of course, back-to-back MVP, you can make the case that Aaron Rodgers deserves to be the highest paid quarterback. But the problem is it's a salary cap sport. And the last time a quarterback has won a Super Bowl with over 13% of the salary cap has been the 90s. So it's been a very long time again, deserving, but most of the argument around Rodgers leaving or not has been the quote unquote disrespect after the Jordan Love signing or his Jordan Love draft pick. Um, Now it's starting to seem like it's about money, which kind of comes off as Aaron Rodgers talking out both sides of his mouth. On one hand, hey, I want to be the highest paid player in the league. On the other hand, I want you to build a team around me that's good enough to compete, which is hard to do again with the current league structure. So my question is, can the Packers afford to make this deal or can they afford not to make this kind of deal? I think you don't. I, I think you can't afford to make that kind of a deal. I, I think I think the Packers put themselves into the position that they wanted to after last offseason, where they reworked his deal to bring him back for at least two more years this past year. And then if they want, if both sides agree to come back for this year. And the front office isn't stupid. They know they know all of those things. I, I mean, exactly what you were saying was you can't have all of these high paid contracts everywhere. And then Aaron Rodgers wants to get one final payday before he rides off into the sunset. I, I don't necessarily know how much I put into those reports, because for me, it sounds like a lot more like Aaron Rodgers is deciding whether or not to really just play out this one more year or retire. That's really the rumblings that it sounds like is so I think it's for him more so 
he's trying to decide whether or not that however much I think it's upwards of $30 million for this, this year that he, I think it's 26 million. He's guaranteed for this year. If if that's worth it for him to come back for one more year, if, if that is true though, that he wants that kind of money to come back for one more year, I think that's insane. And I think if the, if you're the Packers, you say either retire, we trade you, or we're ready to move on with Jordan Love and we'll figure things out. I mean, plenty of teams have shown the 49ers showed even with a slightly above average quarterback play, you can win. You can make it pretty deep. And so the Packers, I think, have faith that they can do that with the rest of the team built out. And so it's really just now, does Aaron want to buy in on the deal that he's at right now? Well, so how do you feel about Jordan Love as the possible next quarterback of the Green Bay Packers? Because I know it's been two years now. There hasn't been a lot of necessarily people in the Jordan Love is going to be amazing camp. So I ask you, what do you think about the situation with Jordan Love? I mean, I'm fully on board with with Jordan Love if he becomes the future of my team. I think we've we've seen glimpses of what he can do. I think given a full offseason, given the full reins, everything behind him, I think he can be I think his floor is average to slightly above average. He he can be a, a Trent Dilfer. He can be that kind of a quarterback if you put the right pieces around him. And his ceiling is Hopefully it's another Aaron Rodgers or, or just, or even just above average quarterback. If it, if it comes down to this next season that he's the quarterback, this team has been built fairly well around him. The coaching staff has been built around him. The offense fits his play style very well that it's really hard for him not to have success. And so I would be more surprised if he came out and, you know, absolutely fell on his face. Like I said, I'm okay with it. If he's the quarterback moving forward, I trust this front office. They've proven me and a lot of other people wrong time and time again with high round draft picks for Sean Gary, AJ Dillon. You know, they've, they've shown that they do their homework and that, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, willy nilly up there. So if he, I, I trust what he can do talent wise, and I trust more so in this team and this offense that's been built around him to give him the tools to succeed if that is what uh, happens next year. So in a win now mode, like the Packers are with this team, if Jordan Love is starting for the Packers in 2022, are they still the favorites in the NFC North? Yes. Yes. I, I definitely think so. You know, the Vikings, the Vikings still have Kirk Cousins, but they are going to be dealing with a lot of similar cap issues, like real cap casualties, like cutting guys left and right that they just aren't going to be able to keep around. The Lions are trying to build something, but we still haven't seen anything. They still don't have a quarterback. The Bears are a team that slightly worries me, but they still haven't shown that they've been able to build around Justin Fields and, and really find that that similar kind of defense that they had a couple of years ago. This team is still should still be the favorites. I don't think it's necessarily as big of a lock as it has been in years past, but the thing is, I don't think you need it to be. If, you, if it's Jordan Love as the quarterback, and you get into the playoffs with at 10 and seven or, you know, what, whatever it is, you give yourself the chance and that's all you can ask for with the Packers. And so it, it might, it might not be the next couple of years that the Packers contend with Jordan Love as quarterback, but they can still be in the mix. They'll still be able to make noise. And uh, I mean, they'll still be in the, they'll still be in the playoffs. All right. To close it out here, I do have uh, one more off tangent point because you're speaking to the the number one member of the AJ Dillon fan club over here. <laughs> um, so I, I would like to throw out right before we, we head off here. Did the Packers make a mistake re-signing Aaron Jones? And why should AJ Dillon be the number one running back for the Packers going forward? 
Oh, AJ Dillon should definitely be the number one running back moving forward. Um, I, I think I think losing him in the uh, in the second half of that 49ers game really changed the outcome of it because they they moved away from the running game. They moved that we've seen it time and time again. So he's he's really a guy that they've built that offense around, and you can see that in the second half of the season. Um, did they make a mistake signing Aaron Jones? I don't think so because I think they they needed that kind of talent. They need. They still needed that, and they and it, and it created a dynamic in that offense that they just didn't have anywhere else. And you know, if, if it's if it comes down to bite them back in a, a year or two, then so be it. You know, they they've been able to rework stuff. If they need to eat it on a running back deal in the next the last two years, I, I think that's okay. But Aaron Jones, Aaron Jones is still a top fifteen, top ten running back in the league, and they were looking at the fact of losing him and having Jamal Williams and AJ Dillon into next into this past season. You sign Aaron Jones, you've got a double-headed monster back there. It worked for this year. It can probably work again for one more year. And after that, I think they're okay if they take a little bit of a, a bath on it. Hey Kyle, stop disrespecting Aaron Jones. He helped me win fantasy titles, my friend. So, <laughs> you know, stop it with the disrespect. But anyway, yeah. you're showing all the respect to the brand new pop pop. Uh, Dan Kotnick. So thank you again for coming on, man. Uh, obligatory plugs. Give us all the plugs where you can find your content. Yeah. Um, our, our show Lombardi's Bar on Game On Wisconsin. Um, we take a little bit of a break during the off season, but every Wednesday during the season at uh, 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central on the Game On Wisconsin YouTube channel. You know, check out all of our stuff over at Game On Wisconsin as well. We've got tons of other shows, podcasts, writing pieces like that so yeah check us out uh, all over there we we do a lot of great stuff over there all right man once again thank you for coming on you learned with us you laughed with, you us. Laughed with us now it's time to do some deep thinking hashtag bust the slump with your weekly words of wisdom all right slump busters starting off our new segment i i just have a quote that I was thinking about this week because obviously I, met, I started off with the Russian Ukraine fact earlier and it made me think about hard times because we're going through hard times right now. So th- this one quote came to me. Um, I love it. Hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men and weak men create hard times. Right now, when I look at the Russian situation, I see a weak man starting war, instigating issues with people in the region. And I, I just think about like when we're going through these hard times and whatnot, you know, being that strong man, being that person person that people turn to in these instances. And, you know, that's something that I, I try and like think of. So this is just my like words of wisdom, something to like kind of like think about during the week, you know, as we're going through all these constant negative news cycles, you know, just try and be the strong men, try and create good times. I think that you will be rewarded for your efforts. Kyle, any words of wisdom before we head out on this Slump Buster podcast? Continue advancing in the infinite game. There will be another day. There will be another fight to have. The the Russia-Ukraine situation is incredibly complex uh, from a global economics and human rights standpoint because Ukraine don't have the greatest record on human rights either. But it is great to see the resolve of the Ukrainian people in saying, we're going to just keep advancing. We're fighting for our lives. We're theoretically fighting for our freedom and we're going to keep pushing back. And it is a, a fascinating story to watch on unfold in your own life find your own way to keep advancing through an infinite
infinite game. All right, guys. Well, that is going to do it for us. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the new segment, some words of wisdom, a great fun fact to start, and some awesome guest interviews, which we have a ton of guest interviews on our YouTube channel. Just did a Charlotte Hornets breakdown and a Boston Celtics breakdown. Go ahead and check out our Instagram, at Slim Pusher Podcast, at Slim Pusher Pod on Twitter. Uh, check out our TikTok, at Slim Pusher Pod as well there. I leave a five-star review, leave a like on the video, leave some comments below on the show. Did you like the segments? Do you like the drops? We want to know. From Juju Talk Sports, from Kyle Ledbetter, stay safe, happy, and healthy Slumbusters. We will see you next time.